0: Well, we come to our last Sunday in our Advent series where we are looking to the return of Christ and what it is we are waiting for Jesus to come and make new when he comes back. See, during Advent, we usually look backwards to the coming of Jesus at Christmas and how he brought salvation to earth. But this year, we're, we're taking our focus forward more. Our focus is shifting to the promised return of Jesus, to bring the fullness of salvation, making all things new. For in this weary year, we are longing for something better, and we have a hope that things will indeed get better when Christ returns. But not everyone shares this hope. The world is filled with many people whose ultimate hope is that they can make all things new. Maybe by electing better officials, implementing better policies, educating people better, inventing better technologies. And so we may have close friends and family members who do not share our hope for Christ's return. So as we wait for the return of Christ, God calls us to tell the good news of others, to tell the good news of Jesus to others so that we can share the hope that we have. So we do not wait for the return of Jesus passively, but we wait for Jesus to return by living as his people and calling others to believe in him. And that's what our sermon passage is about today from Matthew 9, that we are waiting for God to save his people as the gospel goes forth. So you can open up your bulletins of the Bible. We're going to be in Matthew 9, verses 35 through 38. Matthew 9, verses 35 through 38. Let's hear the word of the Lord this morning. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When He saw the crowds he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You speak to us through the Holy Spirit's inspiration of these words, these words of Jesus Christ the Son. And we pray, O God, today as we hear these words and as You work through these words, that we would grow in our compassion and courage to share the Gospel with others. I pray, O Lord, that you would use me in spite of my sins to proclaim your word, expounding and applying it, and that you would give us ears to hear and hearts ready to be molded and shaped, that we would be more like Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. In his name we pray, amen. This morning we are thinking about what we call evangelism, a church word evangelism. We don't use that word all that often, but evangelism essentially means to tell other people about Jesus in hopes that they will come to believe in Jesus. And we are called as we wait for Jesus to return to share the good news of Jesus, to evangelize. And our passage this morning calls us to do that, but in doing so, it also corrects three of the biggest reasons why we do not evangelize. Three of the biggest reasons why we don't share the gospel with others. And so we're going to look at those today. And we're going to start with the most uncomfortable reason. The one that we don't want to hear. The one that makes us squirm in our seats. The one that we don't want to be true yet know to be true. The first reason we don't evangelize is that we don't care enough about the lost. We don't care enough about the lost. We don't tell other people about Jesus because we don't care about those people enough. It's a cold, hard truth that Scripture teaches us. And we hear it not just from Scripture, we hear it, in fact, from unbelievers. Listen to the words of famous magician and atheist Penn Jillette. He says, I don't respect people who don't evangelize. I don't respect that at all if you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think it's really not worth telling them because you would be socially awkward, how much do you have to hate that person to not evangelize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? This man who doesn't believe in Jesus understands our failure to share the gospel better than we do. And his words show us that the biggest obstacle to our evangelism that we need to overcome is our heart for the lost. And Jesus shows us, here's how it's done. In verse 36, we read, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus looked at people and He had compassion on them. His heart was full of love and pity for them. He didn't ignore them. He didn't ignore their misery. He didn't tell them simply to clean up their own mess. He didn't tell them serves them right. He had compassion on them. And Matthew gives us two reasons why He had compassion on them. First, he had compassion because of the presence of bad circumstances in their lives. The Bible tells us that these people he had compassion on were harassed and helpless. Jesus saw the suffering of people, that people were treating them poorly, that they were used and abused. He saw their plight and he had compassion, that they were without hope, that they were lacking purpose, that they were suffering. He saw that without Him, they would be destined to hell for eternity. And so Jesus saw the presence of their bad circumstances, and He had compassion. Second, we see that Jesus also had compassion because of the absence of any good circumstances. That they are without, like sheep without a shepherd. That they had no one to defend them. No one to help them. They needed friendship and love. They needed a shoulder to cry on. Someone to encourage them to keep on going. They lacked the joy of the Holy Spirit. They lacked the assurance of God's love. They lacked the peace that comes from Christ. And so Jesus saw the absence of positive circumstances and it moved Him to compassion. When we look at people who do not know Jesus, how do we see them? Do we look on them with compassion? Do we see what they are suffering? Do we see the joys they are missing? And does our heart ache and break for them? Do we desire for them to know Jesus? Or do we struggle to muster love and compassion for them? If our heart feels cold towards the lost, let us pray for Christ to fill our hearts with His compassion through the power of the Spirit. And may we weep for our cold hearts, asking the Lord to give us a heart like Jesus had for the lost. So the first reason we fail to evangelize is we don't care enough about the lost. The second reason we see in this passage that we don't evangelize is we don't think people will believe the message. We may have some measure of compassion for people who don't believe in Jesus, but we don't think that our witnessing will actually work. We assume people don't want to hear about Jesus, that they're happy with their God-free lives, And so we don't want to share the gospel because we don't want to face the failure that we are sure to experience because people just don't want to hear about Jesus. But Jesus corrects that and tells us there are plenty of people who want to believe in Him. In verses 37 and 38, He says to His disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. Jesus tells them the harvest is plentiful. It's a picture of a field of wheat or some other crop ripe and ready to be harvested. And this crop represents people in need of Jesus. To put it very simply, that means there are lots of people who need Jesus. The harvest is ripe. And in God's infinite wisdom, He has chosen to use people like us to get His message out. At Christmas, we celebrate Jesus taking on human flesh. Well, part of becoming fully human is being limited to your body, you can't be everywhere all at once. And so when Jesus showed up in people's towns, it was a big deal because he meant that he was there as opposed to some other place. That's why Jesus said we need more laborers. That's why he called disciples and sent them out to go. And so as we look at the great harvest that is still ripe, more laborers are needed. There are so many people that God is going to save that more people are needed to get the gospel message out. And so we should pray to God for believers to have the courage to go and share the gospel message. But we also need to be ready to be the answer to that prayer. To be the laborers in the field. That field may be our workplace. It may be our school. It may be our hair salon. Our kids' scout troop. It may be our friends who we used to go to dinner with when restaurants were open. Our friends that we remember from grade school. It may be our extended family. It may be our immediate family. The harvest, we are told in the Word of God, is plentiful. Which means it is probably plentiful near you. Now we may not look around at people and think that they are ripe for belief in Jesus. But that's okay. Because faith is a gift from God and through the working of the Holy Spirit. And God really likes to make unlikely converts. He delights to do, thro, to do so through imperfect laborers like you and me. And so yes, there are some people who won't believe in Jesus. But brothers and sisters, some will. Some will believe in Jesus for the harvest is ripe. So the second reason we tend not to evangelize is we don't think people will believe. And so we can have compassion for the lost. We can have the courage that the message will be believed by some and we'll be on the right track. But we can still get stopped by a third reason that we don't evangelize. And that's, we just don't know what to do to share the Gospel. How do we harvest? There's not like a Bible combine that we just ride in and just start raking up converts. That's not how this works. So how do we share the gospel? How do we share our faith? We don't want to do it wrong. And we're confused about what to do. And so thankfully, Jesus gives us some help in verse 35. Now, we cannot always follow the exact pattern of Jesus, but His style of ministry can be a template for how we witness and have compassion on others. After all, Jesus called His disciples to follow Him so they could see what He did. See his heart for the people. See how he interacted with those who needed good news. And so in verse 35, we see three broad things, three broad categories of ministry that Jesus did that we can then interpret for our own context. First, Jesus was teaching in the synagogues. Now you might be thinking, "Uh, Pastor, I don't know where the local synagogue is. So what am I supposed to do? Okay. Well, we're going to broaden this a little bit to mean that we need to uphold a standard of righteousness. Because when Jesus came to the synagogue, He worshipped a holy God and submitted Himself to the authority of Scripture. And He perfectly obeyed those commandments of God that they recited at synagogue. And so part of His witness was His personal holiness. It was such a part of His witness that those people who didn't like Him could not find anything He did wrong at all to incriminate Him. And so for us, sharing the Gospel needs to be accompanied by godly character. Christians are often called hypocrites. And sadly, for good reason. We don't always practice what we preach. And when non-believers see this, they are less likely to believe our message. And so we need to uphold a standard of righteousness. That doesn't mean be perfect like Jesus, but it does mean we strive to be consistent with what we believe and acknowledging the many, many ways we sin and fall short. And so for us to share the Gospel we must also demonstrate godly character that the Holy Spirit cultivates in us by His grace. The second thing we see Jesus doing in verse 35 is proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus did not simply go around talking to everybody about how good He was. Look at me, I'm awesome. Didn't do that. The disciples didn't go around carrying, here's the long list of rules that everyone must obey. The primary message for Jesus and his disciples was the good news that God was rescuing people from sin and death through the Messiah, that God was bringing a kingdom to earth, a new kind of society based on truth and grace where all people can find forgiveness and hope. And so for us, proclaiming the gospel means clearly explaining this good news of Jesus. We cannot simply live good lives and help others. We have to actually tell them about Jesus. Now, a common saying that is heard in churches is share the gospel and if necessary, use words. Well, that's baloney. We must use words. Now, that doesn't mean we introduce ourselves. Hi, my name is Eric and I need to tell you about Jesus right now. It does not mean that if it's a family member, every 10 seconds we need to have a timer going off, oh, got to tell them about Jesus right now. But it does mean that if we live a godly life and we are helping them and we aren't actually telling them about Jesus, they're never going to believe in Jesus. And so, as crazy as this may sound, in order for us to share the Gospel, we need to share the gospel. And to tell them about Jesus and how he lived the perfect life we couldn't live. And he died the death we should have died as sinners and rose again to show us that we are saved and have hope of eternal life. So Jesus shows us we share the gospel. And he shows us a third thing. That Jesus was healing every disease and every affliction. That when Jesus went from town to town, He didn't simply talk to them about spiritual things while living a righteous life. He helped people with their needs. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He gave sight to the blind. He blessed the little children. And He showed kindness to the outcasts. His spiritual message was accompanied by material help. And so for us, Sharing the gospel means helping people in their needs. Now, we may not be able to heal their cancer like Jesus could, but we can take them to their chemo treatments. We can provide meals for them. We can assist them with their bills as they're out of work. We may not be able to restore the broken relationships that people have, but we can offer a listening ear, a gentle hug, a hopeful prayer in faith. We may not know how to help every need, but we can listen and we can help in the ways that we know how. And we can do so selflessly and sacrificially in the name of Jesus. See, serving others is a way to give people a small taste of the mercy of Christ on the level they understand. It shows that we care about what they care about and we recognize the very real needs they have in this life. And so for us to share the gospel, we must also show mercy to the poor and the suffering in tangible, sacrificial ways. This pattern Jesus shows us in verse 35 helps us know how to share the gospel. That those three components in verse 35 are all important because if any one of them is missing, our witness suffers. If we lack the first, that standard of righteousness, we will be accused of not practicing what we preach. If we fail to tell the good news, we will love people and help them, but they'll never come to know Jesus. And if we fail to show mercy, we will come across as self-interested and uncaring, trying to simply get converts for our own pride. That we need all three elements to share the good news. As we wait for Jesus to return, Let us consider that there is work to be done while we wait. That the harvest is plentiful. And we are called by God to go and share the good news of Jesus Christ. Now we are weak and frail and often get scared of doing this. And so we may feel hesitant right now. We may feel fearful. But pastor, what if I fail? I want you to imagine where you would be today if you didn't know Jesus. Imagine how different your life would be if you didn't have the faith you have in Christ. Imagine what the last nine months must have been like without the hope of Jesus Christ. Imagine where your life would be if someone at some point hadn't told you about Jesus. And let that stir your heart with compassion for the lost. So in light of the great joy and hope we have in Christ, especially at Christmas and especially in rough times, let us courageously and compassionately share the good news of Jesus with those who do not yet believe in Him. And let us pray. Come soon, Lord Jesus, and gather all Your people together. Let's pray. O God, we do pray that You would send laborers into the field where the harvest is plentiful. And we who believe, O God, are those who have already been harvested, those who have already come to faith by Your grace, O Lord, and believe in Jesus. And there are more to be saved. And there are more who are lost. And so, God, we do pray that You would send laborers, and we pray, O God, that we would even be the answer to that prayer. It doesn't necessarily mean we need to stand on a street corner with a cardboard sign saying, Repent, the end is near, but help us, O God, to live godly lives, to care for the poor and needy, and to tell others the good news of Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.